Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 106 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good Joey, how are you? I'm okay. Usually I say I'm good, I'm good, but no, today I'm just okay. This week I'm just okay. I'm under the weather a little bit, so uh, I'm going to try to get through this show as quick as possible. I say that and usually it ends up being quite a long one, so we're going to really try and get down to business and quite quickly. We're going to start with the review part of the show, of course. We're going to start last Thursday. So one week ago today, uh, I think that was the 19th, if I'm not mistaken, in the Monte Carlo Resort and Casino. But it's not in Monte Carlo. It was in Las Vegas, Nevada. One fight to mention on that bill, really. Gabriel Rosado, 23-11, and 11, TKO'd Glenn Tapia in the sixth round. Glenn Tapia, 23-4 and four going in, now 23-5, and five, of course. And Gabriel Rosado picks up the win there. Um, you know, both guys were really, really shot, to be honest. We knew that the fight wasn't going to be, you know, a great fight. We we would really like it if both of the guys decided to retire, to be honest. But, um, you know, it's, it's a win for Rosado. I, I predicted it, actually. I said that he'd probably win the fight. Um, it wasn't on the Prediction League, so don't panic about that. The Prediction League, of course, um, you know, it was it was on a bit of a break last week, but it's back this week. I think, if I'm not mistaken, there's four or five opportunities. Moving over now to Singapore, there was one fight to mention. I talked about the guy last week. His record was 92 wins and just three losses. Um, he took on a guy called Tommy Brown, who was 34-6 and six with two draws. And unbelievably... Or believably, I didn't watch the fight. Tommy Brown actually picked up the win. So, uh, that's a fourth loss there inside of 96 fights for Siramonkon Luafuam, or whatever his name is. But anyway, um, you know, he didn't get stopped. He just got beat unanimously over 10 rounds. He hasn't been stopped since 1997, this guy. So, all the very best to him. That one was for the vacant IBO Asia Pacific Super Welterweight title. Moving over now to the O2 Arena, it was actually the Indigo at the O2, Greenwich, London. Uh, Joe Joyce, obviously, making his debut on this card. I was there in attendance. Um, first things first about this card. Now, sometimes Eddie Hearn has used the Indigo venue for a boxing weigh-in, and he gives away you know, tickets for free, or sometimes, it's, it's, most of the time, it's probably unticketed, and there's like, you know, there's like a deck at the top, I think myself and you guys, I'm sure we've been down there before for a couple of weigh-ins, but um, basically, they actually did the fight there, so they actually put a ring on the stage, and basically, um, you know, the, the seats up the top had quite a nice view, but I didn't go up there. And I was actually on the bottom, you know, on, on like the little bottom bit where there's obviously a bar at the back. And, you know, there was a few guys down there, but media was at the front. And what I will say is the view for me, we're, you know, for, for the rest of the media, we're sitting in the front couple of rows and we're looking. We had to kind of look up all the time rather than right in front of you, we, you know, we had our necks bent looking up, that wasn't too good, um, the ring was really small, you know, it just, it just didn't really feel, 
um, like a great card in all honesty. I mean, the card was it wasn't all that good. The production wasn't all that good. You know, it was very budget, it seemed. But listen, it's David Hayes' first little, um, you know, little dip, dip in of the toe, I suppose you can say. No pun intended, but, um, you know, he did okay. The show was a success, I'm guessing. Um, you know, many viewers were able to see it on Dave. It was free on TV, of course, and you can't really complain at that. But let's talk about the card itself. So on that card now, Dwayne Sinclair moved to 7-0. It was a TKO in round one for him. Um... Adrian Martin picked up a points win over four rounds. His record now 7-0 and as well. Um, who else was on this bill? Willie Hutchinson made his debut. That's the Braveheart, they call him, from Scotland, of course. It was funny because, you know, Scottish boxing fans make me laugh. Like, there was loads and loads and loads of Scottish boxing fans in the cheap seats. You know, they've probably came down from, you know, from Scotland. And, you know, they've travelled a long way to come and see this guy's debut. And... You know, they didn't really want to shill out for the more expensive tickets. That's completely understandable. But, believe you me, by the end of the night when Willie Hutchinson was on, because he was actually the last fight on the bill, most people had gone home. Because a lot of people actually thought that Joe Joyce was the final fight. So as soon as that fight finished, everyone was just leaving. And all the Scottish people came down and just, you know, were just nicking seats all, all over ringside. So, uh, you know, that was funny. They were um, they were quite hard to handle. I mean, the security were having a bit of a trouble handling them. But to be honest, they weren't, you know, they weren't acting silly. Even though there was a big number of them, they were really quite controlled with, with what they were doing. In the end, I think the security just gave up and just let them do what they were doing. But no, it was, it was good. It makes a change, you know, all the late... Um, you know, riots at boxing and stuff like that. It was like, you know, they re you really couldn't control them, but they weren't actually doing anything bad. So, uh, credit to the Scottish boxing fans that were in attendance there. Uh, Willie Hutchinson made light work of his opponent, by the way. His opponent had a record of 10 and 27, but he was stopped in the very first round. So, a very quick start to Willie Hutchinson's career there. His record now 1 and 0. Also on that bill, Michael Venom Page, MVP. Um... This was a weird fight. I mean, obviously, you know, he was being very flashy. He was pretending he was hurt. Um, it was crazy because the, the the mad thing about this is ringside, there was a lot of people that were just pure casual boxing fans. And they were saying things like, why is the guy that he's fighting in really bad shape? What's going on? And, it, you know, you kind of think to yourself, are you serious? You know, like, it's his debut. They're going to throw him in there with a complete bum, not like a contender. So that was quite unbelievable. People actually were quite annoyed with, with the shape of the other guy. Um, yes, yeah, so and that was that was quite funny. But no, you know, he was being all tricky, being all... Um, I wouldn't say tricky, actually. Being all flashy, being all silly, being all, you know, exciting, I suppose, to some degree. But... I'm not a massive fan of that, especially when it's against a complete journeyman and when you're doing stuff like that out of range. I mean, listen, he finished him and he looked quite good doing that, but, you know, come on, man. This guy, he's fighting 2-11 and 11 with one draw. I mean, most most pros could do that, you know, like, most pros just wouldn't do that. It's nothing impressive about beating a guy who's 2-11, and 11, man, and it doesn't matter if you're doing all those silly antics as well. It was just silly, I mean... 
the amount of tweets I read online saying, oh, I'd love him to, you know, get in there with someone who can hit back and I'd love him to get knock Spark out. That's just the, the kind of thing that this can do. But then again, on the flip side of that, if you get people to hate you in boxing, you become a very wealthy man. So we'll have to wait and see what happens for him. But it's only his first fight, so we'll let him off there. But his record 1-0, and a TKO in round 3 for him. Also on the bill, I'm going to just jump straight to what I'd call the main event anyway. Joe Joyce making his pro debut against... The crafty veteran, I'd, I suppose you could call him, Ian Lewison from Brixton. Um, obviously, we all know Joe Joyce in the silver medalist category in the Olympics last year in Rio. Um, you know, did did the nation very proud. And here, he was okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't say he was overly impressive. I mean, you know, he's got a tremendous work rate. I think some of those early rounds, and I've got to be completely honest here... I think that Joe Joyce was trading a little bit too much. He got caught a few times. Because when he came on the show, I said to him, you know, I think I, I'm sure I asked him, would he be stopping or looking to stop Ian Lewison or something like that? And he basically said that he was going to get on his bike for the first few rounds. Well, that was just a big lie because he seriously stood there and started trading with him. The first few rounds were really good. Obviously, during the fight, Ian Lewison somehow, I think he fractured his ankle. Um... His nose was broken as well, if I'm not mistaken. I've also heard that he could have even broke his jaw. You know, his his trousers kept... Well, not his trousers. His shorts kept falling down. It wasn't a very pretty sight. He lost every round. Um, I know that at one point... And I've got to give him credit for this. At one point, I think it was about the third or fourth round. Maybe the fifth... um, Don Charles was actually up on the up on the apron with the white towel in his hand, ready to throw it in. And somehow, despite all of the adversities... Ian Lewison actually managed to carry on through those rounds, so he's a he's you know he's got my respect and he had my respect beforehand as well. So uh, you know he showed a tough man's uh, you know a tough man's spirit there, but it just wasn't to be for him. So Joe Joyce gets an impressive scalp on his resume straight away. He's record one and zero, and Ian Lewison now twelve and four with one draw. I remember after the fight, I actually saw Ian Lewison hobbling out the venue. He had, um, I think, maybe his girlfriend on one arm and somebody else on his other arm. They were kind of carrying him out the venue. You know, and you just look at him and he just looked like a defeated man. And you feel a bit sorry for him because I don't know what he got paid, but, you know, it's, it's not worth all those injuries after the fight. Imagine that. Broken ankle, broken jaw, broken nose. God knows what. They paid him for the fight, but um, all the very best to both men. It's... Uh, it's a shame that, that one of them had to lose, of course. Both men have recently been on this show, so uh, I was very much in the middle in terms of who I wanted to win. But I think that the they, they, they were giving out these things. I think the whole show was, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure it was actually sponsored by Betfair. And Betfair were giving out these little flyers, and they had odds for the fight on the flyers. And on their actual odds... I've got it somewhere, but I cannot remember it. But basically, they were saying Joe Joyce to stop Ian Lewison in round seven or eight. And they were quite good odds for that round, you know, those two rounds. And uh, it was like the highlight bet. And he actually ends up stopping him in round eight. So, yeah, I wish I got that bet now, but I didn't. But, uh, no, it was it was a decent night of, of action. I mean, I went in the place. I watched a little bit of boxing. I mean, the card wasn't great, as I said. Some of those early fights were a little bit... A little bit boring, and I just nipped off for a five guys in the in the O2, and then nipped back in. So uh, it was good stuff. It was good stuff. What did you make of that fight, Ayaz? I know that you watch this card as well. Okay, with Joey Joyce, he's he's a good fighter in that fight. Don't get me wrong. The problem with him, he's got quick feet, yeah, but he doesn't throw that right hand as much. 
a lot of times Ian Lewison was that Ian, Lu- Ian Lewison has his guard now, right? And Joey Joyce was hitting him with a jab, 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 jab. Now he was just hitting him with that jabby, but he wasn't throwing that right hand. I am a bit worried about Joey Joe Joyce in a way. Now I'll tell you why. David Hayes fast tracking him, right? He gave him a ten rounder in his first fight, okay, against Ian Lewison. Now there's a rumor that he's gonna fight Sam Sexton for the British title. The problem is, he could. I don't. I'm not saying anything bad. I like George. Just don't get me wrong, right? But I don't want him to end up turning like a David Price, because David Price was in that same position. He was knocking out people. He was getting fast tracked, and when he came, he got stopped. The problem is, Joe Joyce, he's gonna get he's gonna get fast tracked. But the thing is, he he may he may even end up like a David Price. That problem is right. Price is knocking all these people out. Now, if you look at it, Joe Joyce here, yeah, he's a good fighter. But if you fight Sam Stexton, who's he gonna fight after that? If I was him, I would slowly progress him. How the way they progress Anthony Joshua. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Anthony Joshua didn't really hang around at that British level for a while. I, I think he skipped. Um... I think he did have the Commonwealth, didn't he? But I think he, you know, he kind of was quite quick to jump into the title fight. I know it was against Charles Martin, but um, the, the, you know, the, the the bad thing about this whole thing is that Joe Joyce, of course, is 32 years of age. So, you know, times against him. Obviously, Joshua turned pro when he was about, I want to say, about 23 or 24. So, obviously, he had like eight years in, you know, eight years to to sort of get to that level. Or not get to that level, but he had eight years, you know, on on his side, if you like. So, there's not that time with Joe Joyce. But, yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's going to be hard to match him because you don't really know how to, you know, how quickly to bring him through or how slowly uh, to bring him through. But, like I say, the age is a factor. Um, I think he's more well-rounded than Pricey. I don't want to sound too harsh. I mean, Pricey was looking really good. You know, he absolutely obliterated Audley Harrison that time. Uh, you know, I, don't, I know that that doesn't really say too much, but that was a great win at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's just hard. I think Pricey wasn't really... Uh, I don't think it was a, really a lot to do with his boxing skills. I think it was really mentally. I think that, you know, his, his mental side of his game really kind of ate away at him a little bit. And... Um, he just hasn't seemed to be able to get back on track. I know he's had a few issues outside the ring, but the less said, the better on that. But I agree, it will be hard to match Joe Joyce. Uh, moving over now to Norway at the... Let me have a stab at this. At the Oslo... Oh, God, forget it. The Oslofjord Convention Centre in Norway. Top of the bill, the uh, the special one, actually. I call her Cecilia Barakas, 31-0. and 0. Put her IBF, IBO, WBA, WBC, and WBO world female welterweight titles on the line against Michaela Lauren, who was 29 and 4. Boy, oh boy, Cecilia Bracus with the TKO in round 6. A brutal finish there. She actually hit her, I think it was with a left hook, if I'm not mistaken. And Michaela Lauren actually, both of her feet left the floor. So she punched her so hard that her feet left the ground. Both feet left the ground and she just went down in a big heap, you know. So that was a brutal knockout there from Cecilia Barakas. She now proceeds to 32-0. and 0. She's the number one pound-for-pound boxer in women's boxing. Moving over now to the SSE Arena, Belfast, Northern Ireland, United Kingdom. A couple fights to mention on this bill. Firstly, Craig Richards. He was supposed to fight on the next-gen show. A cup. I think it was the week before, wasn't it? It was Friday the 13th, that was the date. 
And it was an unlucky day for him because his opponent didn't make the weight, so he couldn't fight. So he was running around like a headless chicken, you know, trying to trying to trying to find out what he could do to get refunds for his supporters and his family and his friends and stuff like that. And it was just a big nightmare for him. So he actually got thrown on this bill and he's moved up to light heavyweight now. And he moved to 10-0 and with a TKO in round three against Norbert Cesares, who uh, had a record of 18-61 and with three draws. So he's just kind of, you know, jumped in at that weight there just to kind of have a little feel out. But, of course, there's going to be some news on him a little bit later on in the show, which is quite shocking. Um... Also on this bill, Tommy McCarthy, he moved to 10 professional wins. Of course, he's got one loss. It was a KO in round one against Peter Hughes, who was 8-16. and 16. It was a right hook that finished Hughes. Um, also on the bill, Anthony Fowler, he proceeded to 4-0, and a points win over six rounds against Laszlo Fazekas. Uh, Josh Kelly got the TKO in round two against Jose Luis Zuniga, who was 13-2, and two, now 13-3 and three with one draw. Um... Josh Kelly, as I said there, 4-0. He becomes the first man to stop that guy. What I will say about Josh Kelly, um, you know, he looked good as usual. His, his left hooks are absolutely brutal. He, he's got a brutal, brutal left hook. Um, and like I say, he became the first man there to stop that guy, so that was quite impressive. I thought the stoppage was a little bit premature, in all honesty, but uh, Josh Kelly actually mentioned that in the post-fight interview, so credit to him. And also, I forgot to mention, in the Fowler fight, Fowler was actually cut with a head clash. He was a little bit eager in those early rounds, as we've seen a few times. I think Fowler just needs to stick to his boxing just a little bit, and... Uh, he will be okay. Um, also on this bill, James Tennyson moved to 20 wins. He's got two losses. This one was for the WBA International Super Featherweight title. In the other corner, Darren Trainer, 14-1. and one. It was a KO in round three for James Tennyson, so that was really impressive there. Um, Tyrone McKenna was on the bill as well. I know that he was supposed to be taking on, if I'm not mistaken, Tommy Coyle. That fight, of course, got pulled. He ended up taking on Reynold Garrido. Some people saying that Reynold Garrido should have got the decision, but um, it didn't happen. It was a points win for Tyrone McKenna over 10 rounds. I'm not quite sure how many points it was scored. It was just the referee scoring, but Tyrone McKenna remains unbeaten, 15-0 with one draw now. Paul Highland Jr., 16-0, took on Stephen Ormond. Uh, Stephen Ormond, obviously, 24-4. Paul Highland Jr., 16-0. Um, this one was for the IBF East and West Europe lightweight title. Ormond was down in the third round from a right hook. As I've said before, Ormond, for me, he's seen better days. He's, uh, you know, he's had some issues as well, really, in his boxing career. But Paul Highland Jr., I mean, I think he's a good fighter. Um, you know, I think he's got a, a quite bright future, in all honesty. And it was a split decision win in favour of Paul Highland Jr. So he's now 17-0. and um, I don't recall watching much of this fight. I can't remember. I mean, once again, they've got two shows on at the same exact time, didn't they? Frank Warren and Eddie Hearn. Um, this one was obviously the Eddie Hearn card, so I was kind of switching back and forth between them both. Um, and finally, the main event of this card, Ryan Burnett, 17-0, and put his IBF World Bantamweight title on the line against Zanat Zakayanov, 27-1. and Obviously, uh, Zanat Zakayanov, um, you know, trained by Ricky Hatton, the man that 
had some dealings with Ryan Burnett. Ryan Burnett's got a really good story. We know that Ryan Burnett, of course, was uh, was living in a car inside a, a supermarket car park at one point, and he was begging for money for food. And now he's gone on to become a world champion, so he's had quite the journey. So for that, I give him a lot of credit. I've got a lot of respect for him. He's obviously done things the very hard way, and I'm very pleased for him. Obviously, Zenat Zakhainov put his WBA Super World Bantamweight title on the line, so it was a unification fight here in Ryan Bennett's first defence. I mean, the scorecards were a little bit wide. It wasn't a great fight. Ryan Burnett, once again, with those low hands that he always has, it's a little bit frustrating sometimes. I'm not a massive fan of that. Um, also, what I will say is Burnett, he was constantly holding when Zakhainov got inside. And like I say, with those, those, you know, the low hands, and then all of a sudden when the guy gets in close, he was grabbing him. And it was just, you know, it was so blatant what he was doing there. Um... Obviously, we know that Burnett is, is, is very unpredictable, very unorthodox. But he leaves his chin out to dry when he's got his hands down. And I believe he will have to change that if he faces a big puncher. Because I believe he could get stopped in brutal fashion. And it would look quite silly. But um, I think the first half of the fight, maybe the first seven, maybe seven, eight rounds. Maybe the first seven rounds. They were quite tight. I think they were quite... Um, hard to score in some cases, but then in the final part of the fight, I think, you know, maybe 8 through to 12, Burnett pulled away, really, with those rounds there, he nicked quite a few of those, and of course he got the win, but for me, like I say, it was a little bit too wide on the cards, um, have you got anything to add to that one, Ayaz? Of course, Ryan Burnett now, he's got two belts, he's 18 and 0, it's, it's the dream come true, from, from nothing into something here, Good fight, yes, I can tell you that. What a fight. It was good. It was quite... At first, it was very scrappy. Because it was just grabbing each other and then just uh, getting getting into locks. But if you look at it, the fight was actually quite good. Zane Zakionov impressed me quite a bit. He was, he was winning a couple of runs, but then Ryan Burnett, it's that uppercut, the jab. Adam Booth did say, he goes, what? Ryan Burnett will become a unified world champion. And look, he's won it. He's won the WBA champion. Now, after the fight, I saw them saying they could fight. Jamie McDonald. Oh, I'll tell you that. Jamie Mc... if, if Ryan Burnett for Jamie McDonald, in my opinion, I reckon Jamie McDonald will beat him because uh, Jamie McDonald has been, he's been tested and he's beat everyone that's in front of him. He got stripped. He got. I remember watching when he got. He was the IBF champion or ba- IBF bantamweight champion. He got stripped and they won won the WBA and he's fought Camido twice. They have they they saying that the Ryan Ryan Burnett they want to unify the division and then move up to super bantamweight. Now. That's a very good fight, Ryan Burnett versus um, Jamie McDonald. But I tell you one thing, Jamie McDonald will beat him. But um, credit to credit to Ryan Burnett, um, 25 years old, he's the unified champion, and I think he'll have like two or three more fights at bantamweight and then move up. So, Ayers, you're not a big fan if they make um, Burnett defend both his titles against Stewie Hall. You're not you're not queuing up for that fight. No, I'm not. To be honest, that I'm, I'm not. <laughs> that one wouldn't really interest me. The it one that interests anybody. <laughs> the, the one that would really interest me is the McDonald fight. Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay, that's it for that card. Like I say, we're going to try to get things moving a little bit quicker this week. Uh, moving over now to the first direct arena, Leeds, Yorkshire, United Kingdom, the Frank Warren card. Um, starting on this bill, I'm just going to fly through this. Jack Bateson moved to two and zero. His opponent was down twice in the second round. His opponent was 4-7. and seven. He's now 4-8. and eight. A TKO in round two there for Jack Bateson. Tommy Langford returned back to the ring. His record now 19-1 and one inside 20 fights. He took on Miguel Aguilar, who was 11-36 and 36 with one draw. So 
points win over six rounds there for Tommy Langford. Also on this bill, Jack Massey moved to 13-0. and 0. He took on Blaze Menduo, who's now 4-7. and 7. Uh, Zelfa Barrett, he got a KO in round four against Chris Conwell. That was quite impressive there from Zelfa. Obviously, he's won his first professional title now. He's 19-0. and 0. He's the new English super featherweight champion. His opponent was down twice in that fourth round. He, he, you know, he made really easy work of him, really. Um, saying that, there was a couple of fights in the... Uh, you know, a couple of rounds, I should say, early on in the fight where he didn't really look too well. But then, you know, he seemed to pick his shots really well around um, around the, I think it was the, the third round, just before the stoppage. He had a good round in the round before the stoppage. And, you know, it's always nice to stop somebody with a body shot, especially when there's a title on the line. And that is what happened with Zelfa Barrett. Also on that bill. Leon Woodstock took on Craig Poxton. Now, this was a good step up for me, in in all honesty. It was for the vacant WBO European Super Featherweight title. I didn't even know that belt was on the line. But anyway, Poxton was cut on the right eyebrow in the second round. Um, I can't remember if it was from a head clash. I think it might have been from a head clash. But anyway, Woodstock, you know, he seemed to get a bit of a second wind at a key part of the fight, in my honest opinion. You know, I think it was turning into a bit, you know, a bit of a proper scrap, one that he hasn't really had the experience with before. Um, you know, we know that Craig Poxton certainly brings it. He's no walkover. And, um, you know, I think it was a quality learning fight, really, for Woodstock. A great fight. Um, you know, some people saying fight of the year contend. I'm not quite sure it was that much. But, um, yeah, I just didn't think that Woodstock was that impressive. I'm being a little bit harsh when I say that. But all I can say is it was a you know a brilliant learning fight. But it was quite close as well, you know. So having a close fight against Poxton, no disrespect to Poxton, but it doesn't really look too good for somebody that's gone around for a little while now. Woodstock, he's been saying he wants to be a multi-weight world champion. Having a close fight with Poxton doesn't really look so good with those ambitions, but, you know, it is what it is. Leon Woodstock now 10-0, and perfect record. He's the new WBO European Super Featherweight Champion. Craig Poxton now 13-5. and also on that bill, Josh Warrington, 25-0, and 0, took on Dennis Shellan, who was 18-0. and 0. Shellan was down twice in the 10th round, and it was a TKO in round 10. I don't think that Shellan really fancied it when it got that late on in the fight. Josh Warrington, he's one of those guys, you know, I was... I was quite surprised that he got the stoppage because he's not the biggest puncher, as we all know, but he's very fit, and he kind of overwhelms you. He can outwork you so much so to the point where he makes you fight at a pace that you're probably not used to, especially for 10 or 12 rounds. So, you know, that's the only interesting point about the supposed Lee Selby fight that may happen down the line. Lee Selby, we know that I think he's, you know, he kills himself to make that weight a little bit. And if it goes long and it's at a fast pace, that could work in Josh Warrington's favour. But no, he looked quite good here. A TKO, as I said, in round 10. He's now 26-0, but he needs to push on now, in my honest opinion. Dennis Shellan, he's been lucky, I think, to stay undefeated this long. But anyway, his record now 18-1 with two draws. His first defeat there. The main event, however, on this card... Tyrone Nurse, 35-2 and two with two draws in his 40th fight against 18-0 and 0 Jack Catterall. Of course, this one was for the British super lightweight title. Tyrone Nurse only needed one more defense to win it outright here, but it was not to be his night. Nurse was cut below the left eye from a head clash in the fourth round. Jack Catterall, I mean, look. You know, Tyrone Nurse, in my honest opinion, I've been quite critical of him before. I think that most of his fights, or 
the fights I've seen of him anyway, he's not really, you know, he doesn't really have that fan-friendly style. He's a little bit um, negative, as I've said before. I don't think his fights really, you know, don't really capture my attention. Um, and this wasn't really no different. I mean, Jack Catterall did okay in spells of the fight. Then sometimes he wasn't doing too much. I mean, it was a really, really, really good fight. Like, I was really excited to see the fight going in, but the fight itself wasn't all that good. But, um, you know, I respect both guys for taking that fight because, you know, Jack Catterall, was it a little bit early? I don't really think so. Tyrone Nurse, you know, putting it all on the line, a very hard third defense, you know, was probably the 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 most closest to a 50-50 fight on the whole weekend. But, unfortunately, it just wasn't a great fight, so there's a bit of... You know, this have got a bit of a uh, bit of negativity surrounding us, surrounding it, I suppose. Um, anything you want to add at all to that card, Ayaz, before we move on? I'm just going to elaborate a bit. We said, yeah, Josh Warrington, uh, good, good knockout for him. Obviously, um, he's not the biggest punches of them all, but congratulations, he's mandatory for Lee Selby's fight. But to be honest, I'm, at least I like Lee Selby, and I reckon I like Lee Selby. I think he's a brilliant fighter, and I think Lee Selby will actually beat him. They, Frank Warren did say that they're looking to do this fight at Ellen Road. Obviously, in my opinion, I reckon Lee Selby will be too good. I think Lee Selby will be too big. I think Lee Selby will beat him because Lee Selby is a very classy boxer and very technical. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that Lee Selby should probably come out of that fight the victor, but I don't think Lee Selby's the biggest puncher either. And if he can't get rid of Warrington and it goes down to those late rounds and, you know, being tight at the way and the work rate of Warrington, could we see something quite you know, quite shocking in those late rounds. You wouldn't really want to call anything right this early. Um, right, moving over now to the Armory in San Francisco, California, USA. One fight to mention on this bill, Karim Mayfield. He moved to 20 wins. He's got four losses and one draw. It was a unanimous decision against a guy called Miguel Dumas, who was 10-0. and So he's taken his O there, Karim Mayfield. Moving over now to the Prudential Centre in New Jersey, USA. Couple fights to mention. Of course, this one was the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight um, quarterfinals. I think it's the last one now of the Cruiserweights. Um, on this bill, Matthias Masternek, 39 and 4. He picked up a win. Um, his opponent, Stevens Bujaj, actually retired on his stall after seven rounds. So a retirement win there for Matthias Masternek. Win number 40 for him. His record, 40 and 4. Um, Stevens Bujaj is now 16 and 2 with one draw. By the way, um, Masiej Suleki, 25 and 0, moved to 26 and 0. A unanimous decision win over 10 rounds against Jack Kulkai, former. Um, I think he held a belt for a while. Jack Kulkai. I remember Demetrius Andre beating, but yeah, um, Jack Kulkai now 22 and 3. His record. So uh, back to the drawing board for him. But Suleki's looking quite good. I'm really quite excited about his future. I want to see him pushed on a little bit as well. And the main event, Murat Gassiev, 24-0, and 0, took on the veteran, I suppose you could call him, Christoph Wolodzik. I'm not quite sure if I'm saying that right. I don't think I am. I don't think anybody is, really, when you actually hear how it's supposed to be said. His record, 53-3 and 3 with one draw. This one, of course, for Gassiev's IBF World Cruiserweight title. Gassiev, I mean, he really impressed me. I mean, um, you know, the first two rounds were, were quite good. He, uh, you know, you could clearly see that, that he wanted to make a statement just by the way he was loading up. Some of his shots don't really look like they've got much power behind it, but boy, oh boy, they really are quite effective. And in that third round, when the KO came, it was a beautiful, beautiful, you know, little display, I'm going to call it. Um, Murat Gassiev actually hit Wladzik with 
a uppercut. It was a left uppercut. And then um, he followed it up by a left hook to the body. And what I noticed, it wasn't like a really quick one, like a left uppercut then whack to the body. I mean, it was probably as quick as how I've just said it, really. But what I noticed is he didn't just quickly go like bang, bang with the two punches. He actually brought the hand right back to his body, to his own body, to generate maximum power in that left hook. And of course, um, you know, Wladzik or the Polak, I'm going to just call him for now, uh, he was counted out, of course, and, uh, you know, it was it was all she wrote. But it was a really impressive knockout there. Another body shot finish in the World Boxing Super Series tournament. We saw one, of course, at the, uh, you know, the, the George Groves and Jamie Cox saga. Um, obviously, after the after the fight, Dultikos, that's the guy that Gassiev's going to be facing in the next round. Uh, the Cuban Dultikos got in the ring after the fight because Gassiev will now be facing him. And... That one's obviously going to be in the semi-finals. And the two had to do like a bit of a stare down. And, uh, you know, like just for promotion. They were staring each other down and all that. Like a little bit of a face-off in the middle of the ring. And Gassiev wasn't really looking Dortikos in the eye that much. And he kept being the first one to want to shake hands with Dortikos and stuff like that. I mean, it probably means nothing. But Dortikos, um, you know, he got the win out of that little affair there, in my honest opinion. So, uh, you know... It was what it was. It was what it was. Um, moving over now to the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York. This one, uh, one of the final bills to mention now from last week. I'm going to just mention one fight on the bill that I actually regret not watching. Because it, I was actually watching the bill um, on my laptop on a stream. And I actually turned off before the main event. But the main event, Jezreel Corrales, 22-1, and one, took on Alberto Mercado. I didn't know anything about Mercado. I'm not the biggest fan of Corrales. But Corrales was KO'd in round 8. But unfortunately for him, the... I mean, he didn't really have anything to lose, so to speak, because the title was actually vacant after Corrales missed the weight anyway. So the title was only on the line for Mercado, and now he wins that title. But Mercado himself was down in round five. So it was quite an interesting fight from what I've heard. And Albert Mercado now, or Alberto Mercado, I should actually say, his record 19-0, and 0, he's the new WBA World Super Featherweight Champion. So all the very best to him. And also the fight on this bill that captured my attention because both men have been on the show before. I like both guys. I didn't really want to see anybody lose in this fight. Of course, that one being Demetrius Andre, 24-0, and 0, moving up in weight to middleweight to take on Alantis Fox, 23 and 0 with one draw. Alantis Fox, I think they were saying he was six foot five. I think he's actually six foot four. But anyways, the fight itself. Um, you know, it was it was a poor fight in all honesty. I asked this question to Lewis Arias last week, and he said it was gonna be a sloppy fight, and to be honest, he actually nailed it. Um, you know, Fox got hit in the first round, possibly got a little bit hurt. Um you know, Fox was a poor judge of distance throughout the fight. He kept pouring the jab out. No real power behind it. Not enough right hands from him either. Andrade looked a lot stronger. A lot more of a harder puncher. And he was much faster than Fox. Um, working the corner was Fox's father. That's actually his trainer. And he kept getting mad with his son. He kept telling him what to do. But Fox just couldn't do it. He just couldn't work Andrade out. And he just wasn't fighting with nowhere near the urgency that he should have had at that point in the fight. Fox actually scored a knockdown that the commentators, uh, you know, they actually said it shouldn't have been ruled a knockdown. I mean, I thought it looked quite fine on my stream. I didn't really see any feet tangling up like they said. So, 
I mean, I was watching it on a stream, but yeah, I think that I didn't think he was hurt anyway. But um, you know, that was a ten-eight round in Fox's favour. But no, Fox just wasn't using his reach at all. Felt quite bad for him because his dad wasn't holding back with the advice in the corner either. He actually said at the start of the last round, "If you want to win, it's a simple case of clip or get clipped." And Fox tried, but. It was way too late at that point. Sometimes it kind of felt like he just wanted to survive, unfortunately. And according to the CompuBox stats, Fox landed 4.33 punches a round, which ended up being 52 punches in 12 rounds. And that was quite shocking. That was really, really, really low punch stats there. So very unimpressive for Atlantis Fox, unfortunately. He picks up his first loss. His record now 23-1 and one with one draw. And Demetrius Andrade keeps marching on, 25-0 and 0 now. Um, one other thing about Fox, I think it's actually emerged that he... he uh, I'm sure he had a shoulder injury that he sustained in, like, the first round or something. I think it was a rotator cuff. So, um, you know, we'll give him a little bit of credit there. Moving over now to the Star City Hotel and Casino in New South Wales, Australia. Saki Obika, former world champion, returned to the ring. He actually picked up a unanimous decision win over 12 rounds against a guy called Gerd Ajetovic, who was 31-16 and 16 with one draw. Sakio Bika actually had two points taken away during the fight for low blows, but he still managed to win the unanimous decision over 12 rounds, as I said there. And that one was for the vacant WBC International Silver Super Middleweight title. Sakio Bika now 34 wins, 7 losses and 3 draws. Also on that bill as well, Kostazu's son, Tim to zoo he moved to 7-0, and but he didn't have things all his own way. He was actually down in the very first round, but he got up off the canvas and managed to win a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. And he also picked up the vacant WBC Asian Boxing Council Continental Super Welterweight title. What a mouthful. Moving over now to Japan, the final bill to mention. A couple fights to mention. I'm just going to fly through. Daigo Higa moved to 14-0. and He successfully defended his WBC World Flyweight title against Thomas Masson who was 17 and 3 with one draw TKO in round 7 there Ken Shiro moved to 11 and 0 he picked up a majority decision over 12 rounds against Pedro Guevara who was 30 and 2 with one draw Ken Shiro successfully defending his WBC World Light Flyweight title and the fight that I care about most on this bill Ryota Murata 12 and 1 of course, that one loss was to Hassan and Dam in the first fight. It was the rematch, and unfortunately for Hassan and Dam, my good friend, he lost this fight. I'm very sad for him. He actually retired on his store after seven rounds. I think, you know, he was losing pretty much every round from what I've heard, and apparently he was taking a little bit of a beating. Um, I've, I've read a few posts what he's put up on the internet. I think he's really disappointed with himself. He's been apologizing to the fans and stuff, so credit to Hassan and Dam, a really nice guy. His record now 36 and 3. And Ryota Murata captures the WBA world middleweight title. Some people say he should have got it the first time round, but hey, he's uh, he's got that little tough lesson on his resume there. That one loss, which you know can happen if you let it go to the judges' scorecards in some scenarios in this day and age in boxing. So Murata now 13 and 1, and that is it from the reviewing. So we're done with that. Of course, before we close out part one, there's one thing to do, and that, of course, is to welcome guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF heavyweight title challenger, Mr. Dominic Brazil. Dominic, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very, very much for having me. 
It's my pleasure, sir. So, Dominic, of course, the hardcore boxing fans know very well who you are, but obviously over here to the wider audience, you're known as that guy that fought Anthony Joshua. And although it wasn't meant to be your night that night, obviously you gained a lot of new fans across the pond. Now, I know it's been and gone now. It's you know It's a while ago now, but what do you remember most from that night? How good is Anthony Joshua, Dominic? Anthony Joshua's a great athlete, man. Uh, definitely world renowned. He's a you know he's a champion for a reason. Big, strong, statured guy. Um, and you know it was a, it was a phenomenal experience. It was nice to you know go across the pond and fight there in London. Um, I get you know I got a great welcoming from the UK fans and still have a great fan base out there. Uh, it was a phenomenal experience. Now, obviously, since that loss, which is your only loss, you went back to the States, and this time you beat an unbeaten Polish boxer. I can't really pronounce his name the best, so I'm not going to try, but that was an amazing fight, by the way. I remember watching that over here. It was a brilliant win for yourself. Now, you didn't fit, you know, you didn't take things slowly after the loss. You got straight back in. As I say there, you know, against an unbeaten fighter, you, you went straight back in the deep end. But, however... After that fight, what made the headlines wasn't the win. It was the post-fight brawl with, with Deontay Wilder and his team. Now, to this day, I still have no idea how it started or what actually happened. Could you shed any light on that, Dominic? What happened that night? Yeah, definitely. This past February was an unfortunate event. Uh, me and Izu went to war. We had a five-round fight. Uh, you know, he knocked, I knocked him down. He knocked me down. I came back to get a win. Uh, unfortunately, it was all shadowed by this unfortunate event between Myself and Deontay Wilder and his uh, his team or his team or whatnot. Um, I got the win. Went back to the hotel to relax. Uh, you know, burn a couple hours off before I went down to get you know dinner or whatnot. I had my wife and my kids. We went down the elevator to the lobby to one of the restaurants uh, restaurants that was downstairs just to get dinner. Um, as we're walking through the lobby, Deontay Wilder and his uh, team or, or posse, what have you, came through the front door straight into my face, talking all kinds of belligerent nonsense. Uh, putting fingers, pushing and shoving, you know, and eventually it got to a point where he was throwing punches, um, you know, and, and I was in a vulnerable situation. I was, my back against the wall, my wife, my kids there, no real defense outside of, you know, the guys who were working my corner, um, and it was the wrong time, wrong place for any of that, any of that situation to happen. Um, it's a very, very unfortunate event, you know, it's, it's kind of a hard thing to deal with, especially that I'm on his undercard again uh, here November 4th, but it's, uh, it, it's, become you know it's become a part of life and something i've had to adapt to and adjust to and uh we're moving forward yeah, that's very unfortunate. There, I was, uh, you know, I didn't, wasn't too sure if I, if I was even going to ask that question, but it was one that has kind of been bugging at me. It's, it's real unfortunate, especially as you say there, you were just going down to the restaurant, you know, a family affair kind of thing, and for that to happen, so uh, very unfortunate stuff, as you say. So on to the next one. Once again, as you said there, you're fighting on Deontay Wilder's undercard. Now lately. The heavyweight champions have been very unlucky with the pullouts. You were obviously supposed to be taking on Bermain Stavern. Because Luis Ortiz failed a drug test, Bermain Stavern's now fighting Deontay Wilder. And for a little bit you know, a little bit of time you were you were left with no opponent until Eric Molina stepped in, a man that has also shared the ring with Anthony Joshua. Now firstly, Dominic, what are your thoughts on Eric Molina as a fighter and how did this whole inconvenience, you know, resolve itself so quickly? Um, I think Jared Molina is, you know, a great fighter. He's been in the ring with Deontay Wilder for the uh, WBC title they fought for that. And then, of course, um, I think his last appearance uh, prior to one recently uh, was with uh, Anthony Joshua there in the U.K. Um, you know, Eric Molina, big-time big guy, big puncher. Uh, I believe he stands 6'3", 240 pounds. Um, he definitely comes to win. I mean, he takes on some of the toughest competition. Um, he's been there, done that, and, you know, got back up and did it again. 
Um, you know, in this in this uh, situation, I'm glad uh, it, it happened the way it did because it, you know, it could be an unfortunate event where they take my my opponent, Bermain Severn, and I'm completely out of a fight. But with this situation, Al Heyman, my manager, did a great job of you know pulling things together within you know two three weeks and still giving me a four or five week notice to still stay on the card for November 4th. Um, I know I did get pulled from Showtime, but I am on Showtime Extreme. Um, so it's, it's a very exciting feeling uh, to still be able to show the fans what they need to see on November 4th. And did it throw you off a little bit? Because, you know, Molina's not, you know, he's no walk in the park. If that guy's on his A game, he's a really hard fighter to, you know, to fight against. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely threw me off a little bit. I was, you know, game planning for uh, for Mesa Run for about eight weeks. Um, and then for, to have a rent in a situation like like that, like what happened, um, and have to change everything up, switch the sparring partners around, move things around in camp, make some adjustments. It, it did throw a little wrench in the situation, uh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm used to making adjustments. That's what uh, we do as professional fighters. Uh, we adjust and readjust and then adjust again. So uh, it's, it's one of those situations I'm, I'm definitely dealing with. One thing, obviously, that jumps out about Molina, he shared the ring with tough opposition. He's got four losses on his record. All four losses have come by way of knockout. Do you see this fight going the distance? Obviously, you're noted as a power puncher yourself. You know how to get guys out of there. Does this fight go the distance? Uh, definitely not. You know, I'm uh, I'm not going in there looking for the knockout. I'm going to let it happen itself like I always do. But I am a big puncher. I'm, I am a power puncher. And usually things do come my way. Um, I'm, you know, I'm going to go in there with the game plan. Me and my trainer, Manny Robles, have done some phenomenal things this last 10 weeks of work. And uh, feeling strong, feeling ready. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a crowd pleaser, man. Uh, I, I love to uh, hear the crowd's input. I love to, to see when they get excited. And, you know, it kind of puts more adrenaline underneath my belt. Uh, it's definitely one of the things I'm looking for. If I had to call it, I'm definitely stopping Molina within three to four rounds. And one thing that Eric Molina told me, because he's been on this show a couple of times, one thing that he told me before the Joshua fight was that everybody he's ever shared a ring with, he's hurt them. He said whether it's been in a professional ring, whether it's been inspiring, everybody I've been in the ring with, I've hurt. It didn't really seem like he hurt Joshua at all in that fight. And you've obviously showed how tough you can be, um, you know, you know, during those deep water type of fights. Do you believe he has the power to hurt you? You know, I think every heavyweight has the power to, to, to hurt an individual in the ring. You know, uh, in, in situations like myself, I'm like Anthony Joshua, we're big stature guys, man. We stand above 6'5", I'm 6'7", 250. Um, it's very, very hard to hurt an individual that big. Um, you know, as you guys did see me and Anthony Joshua went toe-to-toe for seven rounds. Yeah, he did put me down, but I don't think at any point in the fight was I seriously hurt to a point uh, where things were, you know, things got serious. Um, in this situation, I, I'm looking at Eric Molina as definitely a smaller guy. He is stepping in the ring with a much, much bigger guy than myself. With, you know, like I said, six, seven, two fifty. Every time I land a punch, it's devastating and it hurts. Um, and I think this is the first time he's going to be in the ring with someone as big as, my, as myself. I know he was in the ring with Wilder. Wilder, Wilder is about six, six, two twenty, somewhere in that range. Joshua's probably six, six, two forty. Um, but this is definitely one that he's outnumbered on paper for sure. And without looking past this fight at all, I know that you wouldn't do that. Should you win this fight, you're already ranked in the top 15 with the WBC, the IBF, and the WBO. Obviously, you're highest ranked with the WBO. You're number four. The champion right now is Joseph Parker. Is that the fight that you want more than any other fight in the division, or is there another one? If so, who is it? You know, I, I of course, uh, being the competitor that I am, I'm always chasing the belt. I definitely want to get my get back with Anthony Joshua. Um, I'm not going to be able to sleep right until I finally get a chance to get back in there and redeem myself on that one loss. Um, Joseph Parker would be a phenomenal fight. I would love to take that one as well. 
um, him having the WBO belt and getting, getting some more world-class experience. But I think right now my my my, uh, my go-ahead game is definitely Deontay Wilder with the WBC title. Uh, one, because he does hold the title, which is the WBC Heavyweight Championship of the World. When you think of the heavyweight champ, you think of the green belt, you think of the WBC uh, representation. Um, on the other side of it, I have a personal personal matter with what happened in February that uh, I'd love to square off in the ring, you know, man against man, one-on-one, not, not his team against me, not my back against the wall, not with my wife and my kids around. It's just man-on-man, one-on-one, mano-a-mano in the ring. Yeah, I'd certainly like to see that. I'm hoping this time around you're not going to be sharing the same hotel. Am I right by thinking that? No, yeah, we're definitely not going to be anywhere within the five-mile radius of each other. I know uh, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm very, very extremely pissed off still from the situation that happened in February, so I can't see myself holding back. If I do lay my eyes on him, I'm definitely going to lay my hands on him. Um, it's one of those situations where I like, you know, I know I'm getting ready for Eric Molina fight, but at the same time, I'm, I'm extremely excited just just to be in and around the area of, of a guy like Jante Wilder because I'm prepared. I, I know that fight is next, and, and I know I want to give a piece of my mind. And I want to get your opinion now on just a couple of other fights. Um, obviously, as you were getting ready to fight Stavern, I'm sure that you've paid some, you know, some good attention to him recently. Although he's been a little bit inactive, do you believe he can trouble Deontay Wilder this time round in this rematch? Um, I, I definitely think I do. Like I said earlier, you know, every heavyweight's got a chance. It's a puncher's chance. We're all big. We're all strong. You land one shot, it does change the game. Um, but it is. I think it is going to. It is going to turn out to be a snorefest. It's going to be one of those boring fights. Just like the last one, Deontay Wilder remains fought. Uh, Deontay Wilder never really engages. He never really wants to fight. He's always he's always running before he throws a punch. Um, whereas on the other hand, Romain Severn's defense is not really what you would call a defense. It's more or less I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna give you a couple punches and land a couple big shots. Um, do I think he has the opportunity to do so? Yeah, definitely. If Romain, Romain Severn hurts Deontay Wilder within the opening rounds. When I say that, you know maybe round one through three, round one through four, somewhere in that range. He might have a shot, but if he carries it on past the sixth and seventh, um, he definitely doesn't have the stamina nor the legs. Um, and, and at this point, he's been off for about two years, so he, he he's not going to be able to carry the distance. Fair point, fair point. And as I stated earlier, pullouts are happening all over the heavyweight division. Joshua was supposed to take on Kubrat Pulev. Most people were quite happy with that fight. He, of course, had to pull out. Now Joshua fights Carlos Takam. Not many people happy with that one over here. Are you happy about that fight? If so, how do you see that one playing out, Dominic? Oh, I'm definitely not happy with that one. You know, uh, uh, I don't know very much about this uh, Takam Hakem guy. Um, I believe he is Haitian. Uh, I, I've never seen him fight, no, nor have I worked with him or heard anything good about him. It's you know, it's a little upsetting, especially when you get guys who hold titles like Joshua and who hold titles like like John Tuwala. I think uh, when you're at the top, you're the champion. You should be fighting the number one mandatory guy. Um, it's unfortunate in Joshua's situation. His guy did get hurt. There's nothing he can do about that. Um, but I, I, of course, I'm still going to tune in. It's still a heavyweight championship fight, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And also, our very own Olympic silver medalist, Joe Joyce, turned pro last week. I had him on last week's show. He mentioned to me that you guys had sparred out in the States. He said it was a great experience for him. What are your thoughts on him, Dominic, as a fighter? Does he have a promising future in the heavyweight division? Uh, I think Big Joe's a phenomenal athlete, man. Uh, I, was, I had the opportunity to have him in, in camp for a week, and we worked. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he is the, definitely, uh, the, the definition of a juggernaut, man. He's, he's that guy that comes ahead. He's going to give you some pressure. He's got a great jab, big, big time right hand. Um, I think he's got, uh, uh, you know, some few beautiful sights ahead of him in the heavyweight division. He's definitely going to be a, for, a force to reckon with. And also coming down to the last couple of questions now, Dominic. Um, I wanted to ask your prediction for your fight. You kind of 
said um, briefly that you believe you're going to stop him. I think you said maybe within three rounds, just seal the deal for us. What is your prediction for this fight come November 4th? Yeah, definitely. I'm going to put the uh, pedal to the metal from the opening round. I'm going to bring it out fast and, and quick and hit him with some bombs. Um, definitely, you know, uh, of course, try to hurt him as early as possible and as soon as possible. But my prediction right now is a third-round KO. Okay, excellent stuff. And also, I must ask you this, every time we speak to somebody from the States or anywhere in the world, to be honest, we like to ask people, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here as well, we like to ask your favorite UK fighter from any era. It can still be active, it can be a fighter who's retired years and years ago. Who's your favorite UK fighter any era, Dominic? Um, seeing that I'm a heavyweight, I've got to go with, uh, I've got to go with uh, something in my mind now. But, Lennox uh, Lewis. <laughs> Lennox Lewis, yes, I, I can see the face, I can see the dreadlocks, I can see all the championship belts, <laughs> and uh, Lennox Lewis is definitely my guy, man. He uh, he he is a world-renowned fighter, definitely going down as a Hall of Fame fighter. Uh, beautiful jab, great combination of punches, and and, and at the best, uh, just a beautiful knockout artist. Uh, um, he he's definitely got my one up on that. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a very popular answer when I ask that question. Everybody liked a bit of him. And finally, just before I let you go, Dom, any message at all to the UK fans over here? Of course, you've got a bunch. Loads of people will be listening to this. What's your message to those guys? The UK fans, I, I appreciate all the support. Thank you very much for loving me and showing me support, uh, checking me out on social media and things like that. Stay tuned. You know, I was really trying to get that fight done with Dylan White. Um, I think it is something we're going to plan to do for the near future. Um, but right now... He's got some obligations. I've got some obligations, and uh, we'll take care of it. It's, it's coming. I'll be back coming to, to, to the U.K., hopefully to London here pretty soon. And also, before you go, just give out your social media handles. Where can people follow you on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook perhaps? Uh, across the board, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram as well. Uh, everything can be followed at either Dominic Trouble Brazil or Trouble Brazil Boxing. Okay, excellent stuff. Okay, listen, Dominic, it's been my pleasure speaking with you this week. Best of luck for November the 4th, and we will catch up sometime afterwards. Oh, sounds good. Thank you for having me. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the preview part. But before we get into that, we go over to Ayaz, as per usual, with the latest boxing news. Ayaz. Frank Bullioni, first opponent, was meant to be Callum Johnson. But um, now he's getting replaced with Craig Richards, who will be taking the spot. Yeah, obviously, um, it's a bizarre situation. Firstly, Callum Johnson was 16-0 and undefeated going in. And for whatever reason, I think he was in hospital over the weekend for some kind of accident or incident. I'm not quite sure. And, um, you know, he's pulled out last minute. And then they've thrown Craig Richards in. And as I said, Craig Richards was actually on the Bennett undercard just a few days ago. So he's going to be having two fights in a seven-day period. And he's only just moved up to light heavyweight. He's had no proper training camp for Frank Buglioni. Frank Buglioni looks fit as a fiddle, in great shape, you know, ready to have a hard fight. And um, Craig Richards has only had a few days' notice. So, you know, I feel I feel quite sorry for him, even though the fight hasn't happened yet. I mean, he's really, really up against it. Like I say, a new weight, no time to prepare, and two fights in seven days. Um, he's 10-0, and obviously. He's an undefeated fighter, but he's not fought nowhere near this level. I mean, he's had some great sparring in the gym. I've heard lots and lots of positive stories about him in the gym, but under the actual bright lights, he hasn't fought anywhere near this, this level. If I'm not mistaken, I think only two of his... 10 wins, only two of those opponents have had winning records um, so yeah, it's, it's a big, big, big step up in class and I don't really want to call a winner because I really, really like both guys both guys are like two of my top 
five good mates in boxing, so I don't want to pick a winner, but um, he's really up against it. But I just wish both of them the best of luck, and I hope that they can both somehow win. So I'm actually going for the draw. I want to see a draw in this one, but um, yeah, that's all I've got to say about that one. Okay, Lenroy Thomas will not be fighting Dave Allen anymore. Yes, um, we were looking forward to the rematch, obviously, for the Commonwealth heavyweight title, but unfortunately, for whatever reason, it's been quite unclear, to be honest. It's another pullout, so, um, yeah, Lemroy Thomas isn't going to be fighting him. Um, now jumping in is the guy that um, the guy called Dorian Darch, who got knocked out by Eddie Chambers, got knocked out by um, Anthony Joshua. He's a Welsh heavyweight fighter, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I feel really sorry for Dave Allen. I know he's wanted this rematch so bad. He's got himself into great shape, and it's just not happening. So, a lot of bad luck recently in the heavyweight division. Ishay Smith will be fighting Julian Williams. Yeah, should be a good fight. I mean, obviously, Ishay Smith, I think he's going to be at 160, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, Ishay Smith's gone through a lot of things outside the ring, as we all know. Julian Williams obviously got knocked out by Jamal Charlo. Um, oh, yeah, it should be... I'm wondering if it will be at 160 now, because I think Jamal Charlo knocked out Julian Williams at 154. So I'm wondering if both guys have moved up to 160. For some reason, I think that they might have, but should be a good fight. I mean, obviously, you know, Ishe Smith, obviously, former world champion, but I don't think he's really the best. You know, he's not really a great, great fighter. I think he had some good opportunities put in front of him by Floyd Mayweather and his team. But, yeah, I think... It should be a good fight. I mean, I'm looking forward to it at least, but Julian Julian Williams is a good, good fighter, man. He's uh, Just because he lost in brutal fashion to Charlo, he is actually a brutal finisher himself. So, yeah, bombs away in that one. Gary Corcoran will face uh, Jeff Horn for the WBO belt. Yeah, that one, of course, set to happen on December 13th in Brisbane. You know, it took quite a while to get this fight made. Obviously, Bradley Skeet was making a lot of noise. Um, Gary Corcoran, even though he's only had the one fight at 147, if I'm not mistaken, it was against Larry Ekendale at the Copper Box. I was there for that. Um, Liam Williams was ringside. We all know the rest of that. But, um, you know, I'm good friends with Corcoran. I'm happy for him that the opportunity's there. And, you know, he's got to go and take it. I mean, he's a problem at 147, but it's a huge step up in class. And, um, you know, it's a fight that I think he could perhaps win. I mean, I spoke to him the other day and I said, how certain is this fight? There's been a lot of talk for quite a while. How certain is this fight going to get made? You know, what's the percentage? And he said 99%. And he told me I couldn't say anything. So now it's been made. So now I can say it's 100% on and I'm pleased for him, man. He's... uh, unbelievably because of all the bad luck that Liam Williams has got even though he beat Gary Corcoran um, Gary Corcoran's going to be fighting for a title way before Liam Williams so uh, you know Williams has been quite unlucky on one hand and Gary Corcoran's been quite fortunate on the other so it's a mad old it's a mad old thing this boxing world it's, it's a mad old game on December 9th Frank Warren will present a, a double uh, world title show featuring James DeGale and Lee Selby on the undercard, it will be de- featuring Danny Dubois and Anthony Yard on the 9th of December at Copper Box Arena. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a mad one. It's, uh, you know, it was announced yesterday and, um, you know, it took a lot of the people by surprise. Um, obviously, James DeGale's not with Frank Warren. Obviously, Lee Selby's not with Frank Warren. But, 
I'm not quite sure. It's, it's, it's took everyone by surprise. But listen, I'm all for it. I'm sure I'll be there for that. And, uh, you know, adding adding Dubois and adding Yard onto the bill as well just puts the cherry on the icing. But um, it's going to be a good seven days for Frank Warren. He's going to be there at the Copper Box for this fight. And then he'll be jetting off to Canada to see, um, you know, David Lemieux and Billy Joe Saunders in that fight. So, yeah, it's going to be a busy seven days for Mr. Warren. But, no, that is a brilliant, brilliant thing. And James DeGale fighting in the UK, you know, it needs to happen more often. So I'm all for it. Yep, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayers. Right, moving over to the preview in now. There's really not too much to talk about, in all honesty. We're going to start with a fight that's happening later today over in Haiti um, at the Carib Convention Center. Wilkie Campfort, friend of the show, 23-3, and takes on Jean-Carlos Prada. Now, Jean-Carlos Prada's actually a decent fighter. He's, you know, he's, he's got four losses in 38 fights. So he's 33-4 and with one draw, but... um. He's only lost to good guys, and Wilkie Kempfert is a good fighter, but he hasn't really got the win that suggests, or, or the win that can catapult him onto the next thing. So this is that fight. If he loses this, I don't think he's going to be able to go anywhere, in all honesty. Um, but yeah, this is this is a bit of a weird fight, because it's an 11-round contest. They do things a bit different in Haiti, and it's for the WBA Feder Latin Super Welterweight title. So all the very best to Wilkie Kempfer. He's a true good guy. Moving over now to Germany. It's the last quarterfinal in all of the World Boxing Super Series tournaments. Jürgen Bremer, 48-3, and takes on Rob Brandt, 22-0. and Obviously, Rob Brandt being the American guy um, that nobody really knows too much about. I mean, he's a bit of a dark horse in the super middleweight tournament. Jürgen Bremer, he's been and done it. He looked horrendous when he fought... Um, Nathan Cleverly looked really bad that night. Obviously, you know, he's he's had the, so many more fights. He's he's vastly more experienced, but he's a really old guy now. So, of course, the youth is on Brent's side. I, as this is a fight that I've actually asked our listeners their prediction on as well, and I've got my prediction, but I'm going to throw it over to you first. How do you see this fight going? Bremer or Brant? I'm going to have to go with Bremer because I really, haven't really seen much of his opponent fight. And what are we going with? Points or knockout? Point. A points win. Okay, I'm going to go with Bremer by knockout, and our listeners have actually gone with Brant by knockout, so that's quite interesting. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to see how that one goes, but I just think that, you know, Brant's quite untested. Bremer's got a bit of power. He's smart, but, you know, Brant also, if you haven't looked into it, I as Brant's actually moving up in weight as well, so that's against him, obviously. But, no, it should be good. I'm going to be tuning in, ITV pay-per-view, or, you know, even though it's... You don't actually have to pay. It's ITV Free Per View, which I love it. I love it. I love the channel. Also on this bill, Vincent Feigenberg's 26-2 takes on Gaston Alejandro Vega, who's 27-11 and 11 with two draws. It's a little bit of a keep-busy fight, I guess. I mean, the guy's got a winning record, but I doubt he'll offer too much. It's really just to keep busy, just in case one of those guys in the main event got injured. Feigenberg's would jump straight in that space, and he'd be happy to do that. Um, that's it for Germany. Moving over now to Yorkshire, United Kingdom. One fight to mention, Isaac Lowe's on this bill. We love Isaac Lowe on this show. His record 13-0 and with two draws. He's in a six-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced, but we mention Isaac Lowe every time he's fighting. He's a good guy. Moving over now to the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, Wales, United Kingdom. This one is the final bill to mention. It's the pay-per-view show. Should it still be on pay-per-view? In my honest opinion, probably not. But anyway, let's talk about it. Dave Allen, 12-3 and with one draw. He's in great shape. He was supposed to be taking on Lemroy Thomas. That's not happening. He now takes on 
the uh, the countryman of of the venue, I suppose. Dorian Darch, twelve and five with one draw. Um, you know, Dorian Darch can be a bit of a handful if he's in shape, but uh, I don't know. There's you know Dave Allen obviously expecting to be taking on Lemroy Thomas, and then he's going to be heartbroken about the pullout. I don't know. It's it's a it's. I mean, I, obviously, I want Dave Allen to win, but it's it's not a given. I don't think. Um, also on this bill, the three Olympians, Joshua Boatsy, he's in a six-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. He's 2-0. Uh, Lawrence Ciccoli, 5-0. His opponent yet to be announced. That's a six-rounder. Welshman Joe Caldina, 4-0. His opponent yet to be announced. That's a 10-rounder. Um, Anihi Esther Sanchez, who's 17-2, takes on Katie Taylor, 6-0. This one's for Sanchez's... WBA World Female Lightweight title. Now, Sanchez has been, um, even though she's got two losses, she's been stopped once. Um, I don't think the the woman that actually knocked her out was a, a really big puncher. I don't really think Katie Taylor's the biggest puncher, but this one should be interesting. I mean, obviously, look, the majority of us aren't the massive, you know, women's boxing fans, but we've got to give her credit there. That's a good fight. That's a good step up to be only 6-0 and and now challenging for a title. Also on the bill, Frank Buglioni, 20-2 with one draw, puts his British light heavyweight title on the line against Craig Richards. Of course, as we said, Buglioni was supposed to be taking on Callum Johnson. That's not happening. Um, it's been a little bit of, you know, a little bit of uh, rumours going round that they actually offered the fight to Frank, Bo- uh, not Frank Bugley, only they offered the fight to Josea Burton, and apparently he said yes, but then apparently Frank Buglioni didn't fancy. I'm not quite sure that's true, but that's what was floating around for a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's hard. Like I said, I don't want to call this fight, but um, Frank Buglioni is in there in great shape. He's had all the time to prepare for it. Craig Richards only a few days. It's a hard ask, man. I really like both guys. Made a best man win. May there be a draw. May there be a draw. Um, moving up the bill once again. This is a fight that we've all predicted as well. Dillian White takes on Robert Hellenius. Robert Hellenius 25-1. and one. Dillian White 21-1. and one. This one's for the vacant WBC silver heavyweight title. Ayaz, how do you see this fight playing out? Dillian White versus Robert Hellenius. Um, I, I think it's a good fight. Um, I, I feel sorry for White a bit. Because, I mean, he all of, he calls out a lot of fights. He's called out Jarrell Miller. That didn't happen. Um, Brazil. That didn't happen. Chisora. That didn't happen. Wilder. That didn't happen. Now, he's finally got a chance um, against Robert Hellenius. Personally, I think he'll go to points so White will beat him. It puts... And he'll win that. It's for the WBC silver belt, heavyweight belt. I think he'll win that fight. And hopefully, he'll, hopefully he'll put him in a better position to, and be closer to a mandatory position for Wilder. I'd love to see Wilder White fight. The build-up would be crazy for that fight. For me, um, this is a big fight for White. Um, beaten obviously with Hellenius. He's beaten Hellenius. Hellenius has already beaten Derek Chisora, but I, I think that White will White will White will beat uh, Robert Hellenius. And I think uh, I think this this will be that that show that will show him that um, he's ready for a world title fight now. And are you going? You said you're going with points, yeah? Yep, points win for White. Yeah, I'm going to join you on that, Ayaz. I'm actually going to go with White to win on points, but our listeners have gone White to win by knockout, so good luck to everybody involved there. Um, you know, it depends what shape Hellenius is in. I'm not sure, you know, I know he's been given quite a bit of notice, so hopefully he comes in in good shape, but if he comes in in good shape, he actually gives Dillian White some problems, but I think the actual fight itself, it's going to be quite scrappy. I don't think it's going to be fight of the year. And... Um, you know, it's a big step up, really, for Dillian White as well. 
I mean, you know, you look at his record, he hasn't really got the best record. I know that that Derek Chisora fight was what it was, but as you mentioned there, um, Robert Hellenius, Derek Chisora, you know, Chisora really should have got the win that night in Finland, but he wasn't to be for him, he kind of got robbed. But, you know, Dillian White, I mean, yeah, I think it's a points win. It might, I don't want to say he's going to get like a hometown decision kind of thing, but I think that they might be a little bit lenient with him. But I think that Hellenius could cause problems. I don't really see him getting knocked out by Dillian White. I don't really think Dillian White's the biggest puncher, in all honesty. I've said it before. Some people don't like it, but I think that's the truth. Um, Dillian White, 21-1. Robert Hellenius, 25-1. Moving now to the Cal Yafai fight. Cal Yafai, 22-0, takes on Sho Ishida. This one's for the uh, for the WBA World Super Flyweight title. Of course, that's Cal Yafai's belt. Sho Ishida, 24-0. When you look at Shoishida's actual record, the only title he's won as a pro was the Japanese title. Um, I understand that obviously some of these Japanese fighters down at Super Flyweight are really, really good fighters and it's a hard title to win, but he hasn't won any kind of WBA special international silver title or anything like that. So I'm not quite sure how he's ended up in the rankings, but it is what it is. I mean, there's one thing to look at. His last two previous opponents were debutants. He beat both of those guys. I mean, I don't know too much about him. I don't know too much about, you know, some of these lower weights. But in my honest opinion, oh, I mean, even though he's undefeated, and obviously Cal Yafai undefeated, somebody's O's got to go. I don't think it's going to be Cal Yafai's. We've asked our listeners about this fight as well. They go with Yafai to win on points. Um, I'm going to go with Yafai to win by knockout. Ayaz, how do you see this fight playing out? Cal Yafai against Sho Ishida. Um, I think uh, Yafai will beat him, and I think Yafai will stop him. Um, I remember Eddie Hearn saying that HBO are interested in Cal Yafai a lot, now that Eddie Hearn signed on his American show. I think Cal Yafai will beat him in style and, beat him, and stop him, and I think it will put him on that level where the fly... Like, recently, HBO have showed a, fly, showed a fight of flyweights, and I reckon... Uh, once Kyle Yafai beat um, Shoishida, I think his next fight will be in America. Yeah, you could be right with that. I think that HBO needs to be given a bit of credit, really, to giving the uh, the lower weights a bit of love. So, uh, credit to HBO there. And, of course, the main event on this one, Anthony Joshua, 19-0, and takes on Carlos Takam, 35-3, and with one draw. Another late replacement. Three fights on this bill with late replacements. Um... Once again, credit to Eddie Hearn, of course, for for doing a deal with Takam just in case Pulev did pull out, because that did happen. So clever, you know, clever bit of promoting there. Of course, the IBF World Heavyweight Title, the IBO World Heavyweight Title, and the WBA Super World Heavyweight Titles all on the line, all Joshua's belts. I know that obviously, you know, Pulev's quite a tall guy. I think he's maybe about six four, six five. He's a guy that you know has got a great, great jab. He's going to be. Jabbing from distance, he's gonna be, you know, throwing the throwing the right hands and stuff like that. And this guy is completely different. Carlos Takam, I don't think he's gonna be jabbing. I think he's gonna be trying to get on the inside, try to land those uppercuts, maybe try with some of the body shots. I think that'll work out quite well for him if he gets them in the bank early, if he even goes late. Um but ultimately, I don't really give Carlos Takam much of a chance. I remember a few years ago, I remember actually hearing Eddie Hearn talk about Carlos Takam. I'm not quite sure why. But Eddie Hearn said he's like Derek Chisora, but like 10 times as tough, or 10 times tougher, or twice as tough, something like that. But he compared him to Derek Chisora, but a tougher version. 
I mean, I wouldn't want to see Derek Chisora against Anthony Joshua. And this guy, if it is true, he's a little bit tougher. I'm not sure that I want to see it either. I mean, I said I was going to stream it, but to be honest, I get so annoyed with all the streams keep putting pop-ups on the thing and all that, and it's just so annoying. I probably will end up buying it, but, you know, I, I, I kind of hope it doesn't do loads and loads of buys because, you know, it doesn't really deserve it. It's not a great card. It really isn't. It's, it's quite shocking. I mean, when you actually look at the, the, you know, the entire landscape of this bill, there's nine fights on the bill. Three of them are Olympians against yet-to-be-announced guys. Three of them are late replacements. And the other three, okay, Kalyafi is in there with a padded record Japanese guy. Um, you know, Katie Taylor's in a world title fight, okay. And um, the other fight is the Dillian White-Hellanius fight, which is actually a decent fight, to be honest. But, you know, this is not really value for money, in my honest opinion. I don't want to be too critical, though. Um... I don't see Carlos Takam posing Joshua any kind of problem eyes. So when I went on Twitter and asked the uh, the predictions on this, I didn't even leave you know any kind of um, poll vote you know like A, B, C or D. Nothing was about Takam. I've simply asked Joshua by knockout in one to four rounds, Joshua by knockout in five to eight rounds, or Joshua by knockout in nine to twelve rounds. I've also gone with Joshua on points. I will say. Nobody voted for Joshua to win on points. Ayaz, how do you see this fight going? Do you believe Joshua wins by knockout? If so, is it one to four, five to eight, or nine to twelve rounds? Okay, right. Joshua versus Takam. Hmm. What can I say about that fight? Is it a pay per view fight? I don't think so. Uh, does Joshua knock him out? Yes, he does. In what run? I'm going to one to four. But I'll tell you one thing. It's a good replacement. Obviously, he was meant to fight Pulev. Unfortunately, that fell through because Pulev's injured. Um, then obviously they had to go to the rankings and the, uh, the IBF rankings. The next one was Carlos Takam. Now, I think Joshua will stop him between one to five rounds. Where does he go from here? Now, he's not going to fight Wilder. He won't fight Luis, Luis Ortiz because Luis Ortiz has been, uh, he, he's been removed from the rankings. Who, who he thinks, who I think he'll fight next? I think he's going to go for, jo- uh, I think he's going to go for Joseph Parker. And I reckon that's the fight that's going to happen afterwards. Yeah, I mean, like you say there, I, I have to agree. It's, it's, I mean, it's a good replacement because he was next in line. Obviously, it's a mandatory defence. But in terms of, you know, actually like a good fight itself, it's just not that fight. I mean, you know, obviously the guy has been training for Joshua for quite a while. There's rumours actually that, um, that, that, that Pulev had this injury quite a while ago and Eddie Hearn's known for quite a while and they just didn't want to announce it. That's what, I've also heard again. You can't really say too much about these rumors, but you know, it's it's just it's it's a it's a real change. I mean, the Pulev fight, I was quite happy about. This fight, I'm not too happy about. I think he deals with him easily. I was actually speaking to somebody the other day, a friend of mine that's a proper you know proper boxing casual, and he said to me, "Oh, I really can't wait for the Joshua fight." And I said, "Yeah, you know, he's not fighting Pulev now, and you know, he's fighting um, Carlos Takam." And he was like, "What were you on about?" And I said, "Yeah, he's." He's, you know, he's not fighting him no more. Like, he pulled out of a shoulder injury. He's like, you're joking. You know what I mean? So the general public don't even know. I mean, he will sell out against anyone. I know that. Anthony Joshua would sell out against anybody. Like, people like to keep saying, if he was fighting my nan, people would buy it. It's true. But, you know, this is this is not a great fight. The whole card's not a great card. Some people are shocked it's still on pay-per-view. I mean, I'm going to probably pay for it, like I say, because I can't be dealing with bad streams, but... It's not a great fight. It really isn't. I'm going to go with Joshua within within four rounds. Ayers, you going with Joshua within four as well? 
one and five. I'm gonna go. I think it's, it's, out, of, it's out of one to four or five to eight. Five to eight. I'm gonna go for. You're gonna go five to eight. Okay, you're going five to eight, and our listeners have also gone with one to four as well. So it should be quite interesting. I like the way we keep sort of picking completely different things. I'll go with this. You'll go with that. They'll go with this. Sometimes the the listeners are with me. Sometimes they're with you. Sometimes we're together and they're on their own. It's quite good. So what we're going to do here is um, that's really all the previewing done. Um, just before we wrap up the show, I just want to quickly say before we bring in the second guest, um, obviously Joshua by knockout in one to four. I've gone with that. So of the listeners, you've gone with five to eight eyes. Um, Yafai on points, our listeners have gone with, but me and you eyes have gone with Yafai to win by knockout. Brant to win by knockout is what our listeners think. You reckon Bramer on points. I reckon Bramer by knockout. And, of course, White to win by knockout. Our listeners have gone with that. And we've gone with White to win on points. So there's one, two, three, four points up for grabs this week. Of course, at the moment, the way it stands at the moment is that the listeners are actually getting the better of us. Obviously, the listeners at the moment are on um, eight points we're on seven myself and you eyes i'm on seven you're on seven and of course that wraps up the preview and so we've done the review and we've done the news we brought you the first guest it's now time to welcome the second and final guest ladies and gentlemen please welcome the former two-time junior middleweight world champion but that's not all last time he told me off for not mentioning the more important stuff forget the belts it's the tall black and handsome demetrius andre demetrius welcome to the show Thank you, thank you, thank you. Nice to be back again. How are you doing? Hey, I'm all good, my man. I'm all good. So, Demetrius, as I said, we last spoke after your win over Jack yeah. Kulkai back in March. Since that, of course, you've decided to move up to 160. Why the move up, Demetrius? I mean, I, I think it was, you know, the right time because, you know, I wasn't really getting the fights at 154. Uh, you, you see, um, I, you know, I am the most avoided fighter out there. I have to go all the way to Germany and everywhere else to, you know, get a fight. And I, then I realized that HBO, you know, wants the 160 division to be hot. And that is where I felt like, you know what, it's definitely time to put on the weight. You know, when I fought Kokei, you know, I, it was, I was, you know, I was drained a little too much, dehydrated. And, you know, fighting 160, Definitely don't have to cut that much weight, and you know, I feel a lot better. And I just got to work on um, getting stronger. So on Saturday night, of course, you fought the previously undefeated six foot four. Some people say six foot five prospect Alantis Fox. Now we spoke with Alantis a couple of weeks ago, and from my point of view, you know, I like you both. It was sad that one of you had to lose, but of course, you got the victory—a twelve-round unanimous decision win, including a bit of a strange knockdown. How did it feel to be in there, Demetrius? I felt definitely felt good to be back. Um, I was excited, ready to, you know. For push it to the limit if I needed to, and just want to let the fans know that, um, and myself, of course, always all glory due to the most high that, um, you know, this is where I belong, and it's time for for me to get in there with the big names. And you know, I've been doing this for almost 10 years now, and my record is still undefeated, and that goes to show I belong here, and I don't slack one punch. And just a quick little note, obviously, being at 160 now, do you feel a lot different in yourself, perhaps stronger, better off at this weight? Um, you know, I, I think there, there's room for growth um, in everything that I do. I can never just be satisfied. But I definitely feel like when I'm to the 
this weight division at the middleweight 150, I definitely have to, you know, you know, put a little bit of uh, muscle mass somewhere. Uh, I believe mostly up in my legs to be strong and be able to hit these guys and they not just have respect for my power, but uh, we put them down to get the knockouts, you know. But you know, I'm not looking for, you know, the one one punch knockout. I'm looking to put three, four punches together, and there you go. Goodbye. And what was Alantis Fox like to fight? Obviously being tall and rangy, but he seemed to really fight the wrong kind of fight. Do you rate him as a fighter? Can he go on to do big things as well? Yeah, I mean, I believe, um, you know, he's he, he just has to go back to the drawing board, fix, you know, uh, you know his, his... I'm not his coach. You know, I'm not, you know, can't want to school somebody and tell their trainer what they should do to make them better, but he definitely should go back to the drone board and work on their fundamentals and stuff like that. But then again, you know, he got in there with, I believe, the greatest today. And as far as skills, technique, and talent, I believe that is me, and I'm willing to put that and display it with anybody in the ring. So um, as far as being in there with him, it was it was difficult. It was difficult because I couldn't really put a lot of punches together because he was so tall. And, you know, he came in to almost 20 pounds heavier than me. So, you know, I would just want to wear him down as as easy as I could for me and without getting hit by anything because I am stepping up to the next weight class and I'm not trying to, you know, test any waters. And so then we had to do to look clean, be professional, and it's me again, baby. It's me again. And that little knockdown, just a note on that, that wasn't a proper knockdown, was it? Um, I mean, you guys were the viewers. You seen it, and we all know it was it. It was not. It was a slip, uh, and they replayed it over and over and over again. But yeah. Okay, fair enough. And I saw somebody tweet the other week, it was just a boxing fan, he tweeted the other week that he tweeted something along the lines of, oh damn, I never knew Andrade moved up to 160, that boy Jamal Charlo just can't hide from him. Are those the types of fights that you'll be looking for at 160? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm past that, you know, uh, when, when I was uh, pretty much, a, should I say, a free agent with the networks, I wasn't signed to any networks, when I was over there trying to call them out to get a fight with them over there on Showtime, because that's who they, uh, you know, they do business with. It didn't happen. There's, I believe, there's bigger and better fights um, out there, like Canelo, Triple G. There's David Lemieux. There's um, Saunders. Uh, there's, I, I think Lima Smith is a good fight for me. There's Gabriel Rosado. There's a bunch of other guys that is fan friendly, and a lot of people will tune in. Let's not forget, we just went over the viewership of my fight and last week's fight or the week before, whatever, with the Showtime. I got a lot more views than they did. So I'm looking for higher viewers. Atlantis Fox was obviously world-ranked with the WBO and the IBF. Now, effectively, when the rankings are next updated, you should be world-ranked with those sanctioning bodies at middleweight. Obviously, the IBF champ is Golovkin, the WBO champ is Billy Joe Saunders. Saunders has got a really tough fight against David Lemieux, as you said as well. Who do you think wins that fight? Who comes out on top of that fight there? Well, we see David Lemieux lost against um, uh, a rangy guy, if that's name. Um, uh, his loss. He lost against Triple G, and Triple G is not the best boxer, 
it has that, or even has the best boxing ability, but he does know how to box with the amateur pedigree. He does know how to um, do that, and he was outboxing David Lemieux. Um, I believe um, Saunders have the chance to outbox somebody like that, but you know it ain't going to be easy because we all see David Lemieux is, you know, a, a strong fighter, but also when you can frustrate somebody and the strong fighter can't put their hands on you, it becomes a long night. So, and I mean, Demetrius. it's definitely, it, it, it definitely who, who comes to show up. Yes, it's a, it's a hard fight to call. It's been, you know, the, the fans over here are loving that fight that it's been made. Yeah, um, oh, that's a real fight. I want to ask you about this. Obviously, the 160 division, such a hot division. You've got Canelo, you've got Golovkin. You'd have to kind of put those guys at the moment as the number one and two guys. Obviously, just behind those guys, Saunders, Lemieux, Charlo, yourself, um, Morata, who just won the WBA regular title on the weekend by knocking out Hassan and Dam. You've got Danny Jacobs taking on Luis Arias. The division is absolutely stacked. Who wins that fight, by the way? Daniel Jacobs, Luis Arias. Great fight. Yeah, I believe um, Danny Jacobs has uh, uh, more in his arsenal. He, he, his pedigree is in the amateurs, and his his foundation is, you know, um, better stacked than areas. But you can never uh, keep him keep anybody out anybody out the fight. Um, I think Danny knows how to move. He has great um, ring generalship. As time went on, he's getting better with it. And Arias really has to like, you know, sit there and in front of him for him to really do any real damage or, you know, make a entertaining fight because I don't think he's good on the street. So, and and we all know, uh, we all know Danny can get hit. It has been put down time to time, but the end of the day, if he gets back up, it could be a long night for somebody. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's all who shows up and really wants to win. But I believe Danny Jacobs has what it, what it takes to, to beat him. Yeah, fair point, fair point. And um, obviously, you know, if you end up getting ranked with the WBO, which I'm expecting will happen very soon, especially as you used to hold the WBO belt down at junior middle, imagine a fight over here in London, you and Billy Joe Saunders, providing he gets through Lemieux. Is that a fight that you'd welcome coming up next year? Yeah, I would definitely, you know, consider that. Um, you know, I've been to London. Um, the people out there are great. I know boxing is their number one sport, and they follow the fighters, and, and they are the, one of the best fans out here in this world. So, you know, that will definitely be something that I will consider. Yeah, I'd love to see that myself. And coming down to the final two questions now, just a quick, quick little question. It's going over old ground a little bit, so I just want to get one sentence out of you. Canelo Triple G obviously happened. A lot of people were split on who won that fight. I thought Golovkin won. Who did you have winning that fight, by the way? Um, you know, I, I thought they both put on a, a great, great show for boxing. Um, they both did their thing. I give. I, I, I thought, and I gave the edge to. Um, Triple G because he was landing like especially his jab he was kind of landing in that will it was always touching Canelo and, but Canelo did a good job you know throwing some shots to the body catching him with some, some good shots I mean it could have probably went either way but I, I give it to Triple G because he was he was just always touching him with the jab making sure that he was landing something Canelo was you know really not um, landing as often as he was in my eyes yeah, I think I saw it pretty similar to that. And also, I wanted to ask you, what were you, you getting up to? If you put me in the ring with them, it would be a long night for both of them. 
I really want to see these fights. I really want to see these fights. I really do want to see these fights, Demetrius. Let them know. Let them know. Let them know. We will. Demetrius AJ versus Canelo. Demetrius versus anybody. We just want to see Demetrius AJ. We do, we do, we do. And what will you get up to in the next in the next few weeks, Demetrius? I know last time when you fought in Germany, you went on a little bit of a world tour. Anything special this time round, or are you just relaxing? Um, yeah, you know, uh, you know, going twelve rounds, even though I made it look easy, it's still tough. You know, you're, you're, you're training, your body, you still get sore, little bumps and bruises and stuff like that. So I'm gonna just take this time to relax and go on a schedule world tour. It might be in London. You might see me out there next week. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. And just before I let you go, Demetrius, anything that you want to tell your UK fans? As you said there, there's uh, you know a load of boxing fans in the UK, a load of guys over here absolutely love you. What's your message to those guys? Uh, just, just God bless, first and foremost, to you guys for supporting me, um, keeping my name out there, supporting the sport of boxing. And they know what your boy has. And I want to display it, so I'm trying to give myself and boxing what they need, man. Some fresh squeeze arms juice, and that's me. And the final thing I must say, I just feel like I'm itching to ask you this. If you can only fight one big name at 160 in the near future, who's the name that you want most, Demetrius? Canelo, Triple G, who? Okay. Triple G is the best... (laughs) He is a, he is he is the the best right now, 160 pound division. But Canelo is the most popular in the sport of boxing as as far as recognition. So I would have to try to kind of choose: Do I want to be famous, Muhammad Ali, be famous like that, or do I just want to say I beat one of the greatest? What the what the average casual fan might not know. That's. My heart would want to say fight Triple G because he's the best, but Canelo because he's he's world he's kind of almost like world renowned. He's where he's Under Armour sponsorship, like you know what I'm saying. He's he's been all over, so I have to take that. I have to. I will have to take Canelo. Absolutely, I'll let you do that. I just felt like I had to throw a little hard question in there at the end, as I do. Okay, listen, Demetrius, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Congrats once again on your win. Thank you for giving us some of your time, and we'll catch up again very soon. All right, thank you. God bless yourself, man. Okay, and this wraps up episode 106 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. I apologize for the bad audio during the Android interview. I think Android may have had me on loudspeaker. I think he's also feeling a little bit underneath the weather like myself. It's been another All-American show this week. We've done a few of those now. A big thank you to our two guests, of course, the former two-time junior middleweight world champion, Demetrius Andrade, and the former IBF heavyweight world title challenger, Dominic Brazil. The biggest thanks of all goes out to the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Remember to check us out on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Send us in some questions. We'll get to those next week. Also, on next week's show, there will be a competition also, so look out for that. But that's all from us. Enjoy your weekends, people, and we'll see you next week.